Good morning. Joining me now is our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Hey, Al, how are things at Heartland? You know, they're they're really good. Uh, getting ready to go outside and thin out some radishes. Oh, you have some radishes still, huh? Oh, yeah. I, I replant. Oh, you did um, replant. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. I like them late in the year when we get some coolness again. I replant radishes and lettuce and a few things like that so I can enjoy a couple crops out of them. Well, so I'm seeing a lot of monarch butterflies. In fact, I've seen some people post pictures of trees uh, just covered with, with butterflies. And so it's just amazing to me. Are the butterflies coming back in droves or what? You know, they're, uh, I tell this story over and over again to anybody who listen, but I was uh, going for a walk and I came along where they just mowed the sides of a road and down into the ditch because somebody was bailing it is what I'm guessing, but I, I don't know for sure. But it was all gone anyway, except there was one milkweed plant that was still growing. And I went down there and it had uh, four or five um, caterpillars on it. So just one milkweed makes a difference. And a lot of people have made a difference by leaving milkweed. I went out, Dustin Demmer was nice enough to get a hold of me. Uh, he's from Owatonna. Um, he does a lot of prairie plantings. And I went out to his dad's place with Dustin uh, by Clark's Grove, and we walked along the meadow blazing star that Dustin raises. And they were, there were monarch butterflies everywhere. He said his nieces walked out there, and they said they kept getting hit in the head by monarch <laughs> butterflies. So it, it was incredible to see that many. He also had Sullivan's milkweed which I remember being part of a herd of folks that was looking for this uh, milkweed plant at Myrie Big Island, oh, many, 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 many years ago. And on that was also a lot of um, monarch caterpillars, but also there were all kinds of chrysalises right on the Sullivan's milkweed plants. Is that common? I, Don't they usually go away sometimes to make their chrysalis? Boy. I don't see that many on our milkweed at all. I see them on the side of the house and on the fence. Or and rocks, the, yeah, things like yeah, that. Yeah, garage door. I see them on everything except that. But on these, we didn't just find one. There were a lot of them that were out there. So it was pretty cool. And and I just talked to a, a good friend of mine, Kate Crowley, who wrote, she and her husband, Mike Link, wrote a book about walking all the way around Lake Superior. And she's just a, she's a wonderful person. And uh, I, I was saying, I just hope that all the butterflies we're seeing, because we're seeing more than we've seen for a long time. And we've collected at our house a, a lot of, of monarch caterpillars that we've taken in and, and raised and released again. And I've, it's been a long time, a number of years since I've seen this many. So we're having good luck, too. I hope it results in big numbers in Mexico, too. Mm -hmm. I, I hope it's good at both ends. Are they headed back now, or is there still going to be some time before they all go? Um, both, yeah. Some of them are kind of meandering, and some are still, you know, we still have the chrysalises on the, on the house here, and we see them around, so it'll be a little while before those will hatch out. And I'm still seeing some pretty small caterpillars, so it'll be, there's always that... Uh, group that comes out pretty late and we just always hope they make it because every year i see a couple of them in my yard really late and i'm thinking man you need to get going and you need to fly real high and find a really strong thermal so it'll just take you right down there like uh, at supersonic speed but uh, i i guess they know what they're doing they can find their way down there which is much better than i'd be able to 
uh, yesterday or maybe the day before, maybe the day before, it's one of those days in recent memory, I was out walking around in the yard and it started raining a little bit, so I moved under a tree. There was no thunder or anything. Um, it, and the rain tapped on the leaves. It, it's just a cool sound. I wish I'd recorded it or something. It just sounded so nice, like a, a tropical forest for a little while there. So everything was just right as rain. And again, there was no thunder or lightning. And I looked it up. On average, it says approximately 44,000 thunderstorms occur each day somewhere in the world. But I'm under that tree where there had been a lot of mosquitoes not very long ago, and they've kind of disappeared, and I don't miss them a bit. I've heard of BuzzFeed, but to me that's just a biting mosquito. And the sun came out while I was under the tree, and it turned a world covered in raindrops into jewels. And I wanted to adopt the habit of a bee and visit each and every flower I could see. And uh, I walked on so many walnuts, it was like I was walking on ball bearings, big <laughs> ball bearings. But it's a sultry part of the summer that we've just gone through by uh, uh, oh, a couple weeks now. The dog days, they're supposed to occur during the period that's serious. The dog star rises with the sun, and that'd be from, I think, July 3rd to August 11th. People argue about the exact dates that we're supposed to notice that. And we're also supposed to notice for every fog we get in August, there will be a corresponding snowfall. Um, We've had a couple at least, I know, because I was driving home the other or the past weekend, and there was some real a lot of fog in the low-lying spots. In a lot of mornings, early mm-hmm. mornings, there's a fog out there. So we're going to get a bunch of snowfalls, you know, pretty much whether we get fogs or not. But it, it's kind of interesting to keep track and just see how close it comes. So it helps us get through uh, some of those snowfalls. A goldenrod and ragweed are blooming. Uh, ragweed is the culprit that torments allergy sufferers, not the beautiful goldenrod. I think it gets blamed a lot of times, though, for causing it because people tend to see that because the ragweed's not so pretty. It's not. Green flowers, goldenrod has those beautiful yellow, golden, and they just bloom at the same time. So people, when they started getting these uh, allergies, they would look out and they'd see these beautiful plants and ignore the more common green things over there. And they just said, you know, every time those yellow things bloom, I get an allergy allergic reactions. So that's got to be the reason. Well, it isn't. Uh, Ragweed is the one that's the guilty party. A goldenrod is uh, pollinated by insects, ragweed by wind. So it gets a lot of that stuff into the the air for us. I mentioned a new sighting on my house. It's a monarch butterfly caterpillar. Picked it to form a chrysalis and it looks lovely there. Maybe we'll have the whole house done that way next year. Uh, soon, folks, if they're not already, skunks and raccoons will be digging in your lawn in search of grubs for grub. I hope they come and get all the Japanese beetle grubs. Do you think they've laid those yet? I know they're they're kind of thinning out in terms of being on my plants. There's still a bunch there, but not as bad as they were. So I know they lay grubs or they're in the ground, but will they be big enough to even get yet for the, the critters? I would guess some of them probably would be getting into that maybe a little later in the year, but uh, yeah, they would eat. They'd love to eat Japanese beetle grubs and uh, the other kinds of white grubs that we have down in there. So they will be around. I'm sure they'll put you on the route. 
Oh, I, I spotted a red fox, and, uh, and it was right on the edge of the road. I just I had one go through the yard the other day, probably the same guy. I, I love red foxes. They, and people say, you know, there's a gray fox and there's a red fox, but they, they kind of share colors. How do you tell? Well, a red fox has black legs, so they, they have black shoes and socks. They also have black-tipped ears. And then on the tail, this is a really cool way to notice, if they, it's a white tip, that's a red fox. A gray fox has a black-tipped tail and a black stripe running down its back. But if it has a black tip, it is the darker fox, which you might think the gray fox. If it has a white-tipped tail, it's a later fox, a red fox. Which do we have more of? I see more red foxes. You do. Than, uh, yeah. uh, the gray foxes... Uh, are more probably in where there's a little heavier forested areas. They are capable of climbing trees, but it seems out in the prairies and in the cities we see a lot more red foxes. Now you mentioned we were seeing more skunks and things coming out. I've been noticing more roadkill again. It seems like earlier in the year there's roadkill, and now it seems it's coming back again. Is that because of the movement of animals right now? It sure is, yep. We're starting to move into already that fall movement. we got a lot of young critters out there kind of venturing forth into this great new world. And they're, um, you know, they're, some of their parents weren't very good at crossing the roads. Well, these guys are even worse because they, they have no idea what's uh, across the road. They just don't know what's going on. And we all drive along now playing name that animal carcass game. As you go down, you say, ooh, You can't always that? tell, can you? <laughs> no. You say, boy. And I, oh, you know, on kind of rural roads where there's no traffic and I can get by with this, I have turned around and gone back and looked to see what some, some things are because they just uh, they look like maybe something you've never seen before. And uh, sadly, they always turn out to be something I've seen all too often. Oh, I saw a Cooper's Hawk. Uh, I was waiting in uh, today. I was waiting for a meeting, and I saw a Cooper's Hawk. They have these distinctive, long, rounded tail with thick bands. And a chimney swift chattered overhead on these flickering wings, a short body propelled by long, slim wings. I saw a lot of them at the Henderson Hummingbird Hurrah in lovely Henderson. Uh, turkey vultures were waiting for the morning's rush hour to end and for the heat to arrive before flying, so they were, um, they were sleeping in. And wild turkeys, I saw a bunch of those, and I'm just amazed that that turkey can run 25 miles an hour and fly 55 miles an hour. I heard uh, Eurasian collared doves calling. They do a hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. And this species was introduced into the Bahamas in 1974. Uh, it spread to Florida in 1982 and was first seen in Minnesota, I want to say, 1998. I saw a large flock of starlings landing on utility wires in the early 1890s. About 100 European starlings, there was a couple releases, were released in New York City Central Park by a group dedicated to bringing every bird mentioned by Shakespeare to America. And today we have about 200 million starlings. So uh, it's, they were successful in that. I visited Freeborn Lake, which is being drawn down. There's a lot of uh, shorebirds there. Wilson's phalaropes were spinning in the water, creating these tiny whirlpools that drew 
prey upward. It just sucked them right up. Uh, some sources claim that each fella rope spins in only one direction, but uh, I'm not so sure. Uh, but I do know that fella ropes exhibit role reversal. The females are more colorful, and they pursue the males, and the males create the nests and incubate the eggs. And a, a friend recommended the book Penguin, the Magpie, the Odd Little Bird Who Saved a Family. And I'm glad he did. It's a book that buoys the spirit, as did the books Arnie, the Darling Starling, and that quail, Robert. And I know you went to the Steele County Fair. The estimated attendance this year, Karen, 313,046. Wow, that must be one of their records. We we did, and I think I missed you by a day going to the Steele County Fair. So uh, saw a lot of things, went to the Isaac Walton building where they have the most a reasonable water you can buy in the fairgrounds. <laughs> they, do. <laughs> they do, indeed. And I haven't. I, I was hoping I won one of those little trees, but I haven't heard back from them yet. You can always oh, register for that each year. Yeah, three hundred thirteen thousand forty-six is a lot, and I'm pretty proud because I realize had it not been for me, three hundred thirteen thousand forty-five would have right? been all that been rounded there. Rounded off. So you know, at the Minnesota. I, I was going to say at the Minnesota State Fair the past weekend they had a record day of two hundred twenty-two thousand, and that was one. Day, but you know the the Owatonna Fair really draws a big crowd too for a, a smaller town. It's incredible all the people there, and uh, well over a hundred eating uh, establishments. I have no idea how many food vendors, but I know it's well over a hundred. Uh, Mary Sack of Neritzen was giving away milkweed plants at the Henderson Hummingbird Hurrah, but she kept one swamp milkweed because it had a tiny monarch butterfly caterpillar on it. So she said, "I'm taking this one back home." Uh, Bev Hart said, I've had dead cicadas fall on my deck from a tree. I never saw this before. What's happening? Uh, cicadas live only four to six weeks as adults, and then they, they mate, the female lays eggs, and then she falls off a branch and dies. <laughs> Is that really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Males might live a few days longer, and then they fall from the tree and die. So, Bev, you must have a good population in your yard. There is an important predator of cicada. It's the populations. That's a cicada killer wasp. So they sting cicadas, and then they fly and drag them to a burrow they've dug. Uh, the sting paralyzes the cicada, but keeps it alive so the developing wasp larva has fresh food. It just seems oh, so every- cruel, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. But every so often, a wasp drops her prey or finds she's just unable to handle such a heavy cicada. But, uh, boy, I wouldn't think that would provide uh, high body counts on your deck, Bev. So I think they're just coming to the end of their time. Uh, Valerie Phillips of Heartland uh, sent my wife a picture of a large cocoon. It looks like a silk moth cocoon, maybe Cecropia, perhaps. Uh, Myrna Ganrud of Albert Lee saw some young chipping sparrows. Mark Anderson, also of Albert Lee, said, Recently I've noticed a light green plant spreading like a veil over other plants along the road. One person suggested that it is a wild cucumber. What is it? How do we stop it? That's it what I heard. Wild. It's wild cucumber, isn't it? It is. And there's a bumper crop. and it's a, Again, it's a native annual, but it's a bumper crop this year. And, um, and you can't pl- eat it. I know that much. No, it wouldn't be good. And the plants should be pulled or hoed early in the spring as soon as they're found. How do you find them? Well, the seedlings look like garden cucumbers. So if you're a gardener, you probably could recognize the 
if they're more established, repeated mowing over the area before they set seeds will keep them in check. If they progress to the point like they have right now where they're growing up into trees and bushes, uh, pull them out and discard them. And ideally get them out before they go to seed. That will reduce the number of plants in areas over time. They get, the, again, this spiny fruit and the flowers are quite fragrant. Uh, there are certainly chemical solutions, but um, boy, all I can say is, you know, it's, that stuff can be harmful to other vegetation. And so. they're very easy to pull. And I have, I've heard some people say that they have actually suffocated or, I don't know, smothered, however you want to call it, their, their trees and shrubs. But generally, they don't kill things. They're more likely to just kind of maybe stunt, stunt them a little bit. So for the most part, they aren't killing a lot. But if you do see them, you can pull them out by hand pretty easily. You can, and I would guess if it's a small shrub that's got other problems, it would uh, yeah stress them out. Make the, yeah, make it a little worse. Uh, Joan Peterson of Freeborn asked about the uh, aphids on milkweed and if it would do in the milkweed. Um, those oleander aphids, it's a common pest of milkweed. Um, they have piercing, sucking mouth parts, and they feed on sugary liquids within the plant's tissues. And their feeding activity doesn't necessarily kill the plants. It does potentially weaken them, and and it can impact the plant's ability to flower and produce seed and that kind of thing. So, so. are they a bad thing? Because I've noticed them on the milkweed, but I'm still getting a lot of cat, um, caterpillars. So I just assume that they're there. They're usually on the end, and you, you can see them. But I thought, well, they don't seem to be hurting it too bad. Yeah, and I, yeah. I'm probably the only person that thinks they're cute, but they they <laughs> just. They're really cute little guys. They just, uh, I like them, and the ants farm them because the aphids produce honeydew. Oh, that's why you so, see all the ants crawling there, too, then. Oh, they are ant farmers. They're okay. milking the aphids, so that's why they are there. They are, uh, if, you know, if you see too many of them and they're bothering you, just, again, get a cup or a little bucket with some soap suds in it and just knock a few of them down in there. And you can keep the numbers down and and, uh, and make everybody happy, except the aphids. They'll probably be ticked off about it. Uh, Sandy Cordy sent me a photo of clustering butterflies at Sherburn National Wildlife Refuge. I had just been up there, just missed Sandy. And that's up by Zimmerman, a beautiful place. Uh, Kate Crowley, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, said this summer we were infested with rose chafers, C-H-A-F-E-R-S. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of people, and Karen knows, and a lot of people are aware of these guys. Uh, she said these are insect beetles we had not seen before, and I found three of them dead. Or I found three dead and somewhat desiccated monarch caterpillars on the milkweed plants, with a rose chafer attached. Hmm. It appeared they were the guilty parties in the caterpillar's death. Never saw that before and hope we don't see it again. Yeah, I have no idea why that'd be. As far as I know, they're vegetarians, these hmm. guys. So if they, if they just uh, mistook the caterpillar for a leaf or something and then it did them both in, I, I really have no idea. Uh, T.J. Davis of Northwood, Iowa said, he wants to give some binoculars as a gift to a young and in the family, and he said, what kind of binoculars should I get? I'd like to get 7 by 35 because that's what I have, and I like them, but they're hard to find. And I've been hearing that from people, but, uh, you know, step up maybe 8 by 40 or 8 by 42. Again, the first number is a power, so it's 8 
times the power. You won't see a whole lot of difference between the 7 or 8. But you want that second number, at least I do. I want that objective lens size at 35 or 40. That's the objective lens is the one nearest the object that you're looking at. I want the power to be divisible in that by 5. So 7 goes into 35, 5 times 8 into 45 times. And that's what I like. So uh, just speaking for me, if you can find one like that, there's so many wonderful uh, binoculars out there, TJ. I'm sure you'll be able to find a good one. Uh, a bank in Wells got a hold of my wife to uh, asking about an ID of a injured bird they found. And my wife showed it to me, and it was a grebe, a big bird, and uh, it was a western grebe. Uh, Clark's grebe and western grebes look very much alike, and that's where they were having the difficulty. Western grebes have dark around the eye, and it'd be the most likely bird that we'd see. Clark's greaves have white around the eye. The problem is they do hybridize some, so it's um, it can be a problem there to ID some of them exactly. But uh, Gail did pass along the contact information for the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center to those good folks at the bank there in Wells, and it was nice of them to do that. So I hope the bird uh, has a uh, complete recovery and uh, very soon. Is there a percentage, do you know, on how many birds actually get recovered that they get up there? There isn't, and I've often wondered that about uh, birds that uh, have been in a cat's mouth or hit a window. Um, Birds in a cat's mouth, we can let them go, but there are some diseases that might travel from the cat to the bird and do them in. And when we have a bird hit the window, we don't know what the internal injuries are. Maybe they can get brain injuries or concussions like people. They sure can, yeah. So we, you know, we just, there's just no way of knowing because if those birds do die, they do it kind of in a secret place. If they're not feeling well, they just kind of go off and hide somewhere and sadly pass away that way. Speaking of things running into things, uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service estimates that at least 500 eagles collide with wind turbines each year in this country. Now, the Raptor Center that's located at the University of Minnesota is working on a research study (coughs) funded by the U.S. Department of Energy that aims to map the auditory thresholds of bald eagles, golden eagles, and red-tailed hawks in an effort to determine if certain sounds could be used to deter eagles from flying into wind turbines. In the first phase of this study, TRC, in partnership with the University of Minnesota Center for Applied and Translational Sensory Science in St. Anthony Falls Laboratory, successfully mapped the entire range of sounds heard by all three of those species. And the results determined that red-tailed hawks have a similar hearing range to eagles, so there's a good potential that they will be used as surrogates for future studies. So that would be uh, wonderful if they could uh, find a way to keep everything away from wind turbines and uh, our windows and everything else. So I have a question. You mentioned uh, wind turbines. Do they ever have issues with birds running into solar panels? Because they certainly would have a reflection, I would think. Yeah, the only thing I remember, and it was a few years ago, and I got it about birds frying around those, and whether that was just an Internet legend or if there was actually some truth to it, 
uh, I I wouldn't think it'd be a problem as long as you know because the ones I see are down pretty low and they're at an angle too. So yeah, you'd have to. I, I suppose birds could still fly into it, but I'm I'm looking at some and I see some flowers growing under them. I know the it was going to be they were going to plant uh, like prairies under yes. under these things. So I'm hoping that's coming to bear. And I realize it takes a couple years uh, for prairies to really show themselves. So you might look under some of them now and say, well, there's nothing. It's a weeds. That's all it's growing under there. But um, I'm hoping in a couple years to be a nice prairie because they're hoping to be um, a great help for pollinators, these things. So I, I hope I hope that turns out to be the case. Uh, we, everything needs help out there. But I do appreciate everybody. Oh, I got one question here. Somebody said, what else eats milkweeds other than monarch butterfly caterpillars? Uh, deer and rabbits. Um, trust me deer? on this. They, really? Yeah. Deer? Because, oh. I mean, I think in my yard they eat the, the vegetables from my garden first and the hostas and things, and then that must be a secondary. I'm wolf. sure it is, yeah. And they eat the leaves. And I can't prove it. But I think maybe groundhogs do oh. as well. But I do know I've seen deer do it and rabbits do it. So I know those two do. And as far as insects go, there are milkweed bugs, there's tussock moths, there's Japanese beetles, there's the oleander aphids, and there's other insects too that feed on them. So there, there are a number of things that will happily feed upon our milkweeds, and we just hope enough of them make it so... So we can have even more monarch butterflies. And again, uh, boy, thanks to Dustin Demmer. That was so much fun being out there. My wife and I walked around, and they had a nice uh, clustering in a tree there of the monarch butterflies coming in there. And it's just, it it was a lovely place to be, and uh, it was nice to see that. My wife said it brought back memories uh, when there were so many monarch butterflies that we just, didn't know there'd ever be a, a concern there, so it was nice to see, and um, Dustin's a good guy. And I hope, it, I know he's at the cafe, so I hope everybody will come to the cafe where the food chain is missing a few links, a special is always a Heimlich Maneuver, and where gravy is considered a beverage, and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders, where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet, well, hardly any of them. Socrates apparently said that an unexamined life is not worth living. He's not around to tell us for sure he said that, but we think he did, or at least I think he did. I sat on the deck the other day. I was returning phone calls and watching moths fly about the yard. I remember playing on a softball field bordering a wetland in Geneva, Minnesota. The moths were so numerous, some nights they dimmed the diamond's lights. Many players and fans referred to them as Millers, like uh, the name Miller. And a Miller was thought of as a small moth having powdery scales on its wings and was attracted to light. I heard somebody say, we had a Miller fly up his nose. Wow. (laughs) That was, yeah, it just, ooh. Well, I had one fly into my ear, and its fluttering nearly drove me crazy. I told my dad about it. He said, it'll die. 
<laughs> the fluttering stopped in a day or so because, like Dad said, the moth had died. I wonder what Socrates would have said about an unexamined ear. Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Thanks for having nothing better to do than to listen to me, to do something wild today, get out there and look at a bird. Karen, I enjoyed your company. And uh, thanks, everyone, for uh, listening to KMSU. Hey, thanks. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Karen. All right. Bye-bye.